Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us today. And um, to my listeners, I want to tell you that Michelle is someone very special in my life. I've known her a number of years, and she's someone that I've admired for a long time for many of the things that she'll share with you today. And prior to actually going live on this, we were reflecting about all the different things she could talk about and the changes in her life. Michelle has moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. She's worked internationally. She's been in the U.S. Senate running HR there. So Michelle, is there anything beyond all of your sports and endeavors? So what else might you add? Oh, first of all, thanks for having me. And I look forward to our conversations as always. Um, I think in, in a nutshell, that, that covers it. Uh, you know, big changes like the moves and starting my businesses and just finding courage to make big life decisions, which I hope is some of what we'll get into. Well, let's just start with that. I want to start by asking you, what is a time that you made a big change um, and how did you navigate that? Can you give us an example of one of your big changes and kind of what you thought about ahead of time, what might have worried you a little bit, and what you did to navigate? Sure. Uh, like you mentioned, there were plenty to choose from, so I'll choose one that was about in the middle of uh, of all of this, and that was after working at the United States Senate for about 10 years. I was the Director of Human Resources, and I was using my leave time to go do triathlons and marathons uh, domestically and internationally and identified a niche market that had been untapped. Uh, And that's basically having a travel partner partner with these different events to make the ease of access into some of these events simpler and taking care of logistics and so forth. And I was starting my business um, in my basement. (laughs) So I would come home from the Senate and as my partner would say, I would come home and cook and book uh, into the evening and then go back to the Senate the next morning. I decided to pull the plug to actually jump with both feet and realized if I didn't, somebody would take my idea and run with it. So I put my plan together and got my courage together and, and took that leap. Um, as terrifying as it was at the time, it was equally as exhilarating. Uh, at the time, we were both a, that would take us both to a commission-based income nearly exclusively. So I wanted to make sure I had things organized in a way that if my new created idea didn't work, I would still stay current in my field and be able to, to succeed regardless. So that was a, probably one of the biggest challenges um, that I faced and one of the big changes that I intentionally made. And people were saying, you know, are you sure you want to do this? This is kind of crazy. You're you're a director at the United States Senate and you you want to leave all of this? And, you know, people would die for this position. And I thought, oh, yeah, you know, but I won't be dying in this position. Uh, as much as I enjoyed my work there and, and feel very confident that I left it in better condition than I received it in, it wasn't my passion. And I wanted to do more within that passion. You talked about being ready, right, and staying current so that you had mm-hmm. options. Were you looking at options for going back in to the Senate in that role or options that just related and spun off of that work? Um, Not necessarily back in, although I will say I very intentionally left my situation there um, without burning bridges. And 
you know, I still hear from people at the Senate and they've replaced me numerous times since. And every once in a while, I'll get that email that has the, the job description with the comment, you know, any interest, question mark. Uh, so that it's nice to have left it in that situation, but that was very intentional on my part. I don't, you know, both in my professional and personal life, I don't like to leave things with jagged edges. So uh, that was that was very intentional. But my purpose was not to go back to the Senate per se, but keep current in my field and in being in HR. And you can appreciate this, sir. If you're away from the field and you try and come back in. So much happens with the ebb and flow in, in any field that if you're not on top of it, you're antiquated. So somebody perhaps with less experience or maybe who didn't work at the Senate might get an HR position over you because they were current and you've you know, lost that. So I, I intentionally wanted to keep my fingers on the pulse of, of my field while I did something completely divergent. Um, and I think that was the part that people were rolling their eyes at. So I did some HR consulting on the side just to make sure that um, I wasn't only relying on the commission base of the new business. And then that grew to the point where people were saying, well, can you come on full time? This is great. Can you you know, come on as our HR director? So I had to keep saying thanks, but no. Um, and then I opened up my consulting business to take to take on the additional work as well. So let me back you up for just a minute, because the ability to say thanks, but no, there is that allure when you're in something new and you're going, oh, man, that could be so secure and I wouldn't have to be nervous, like especially if you're on a fee for service or commission. right? Mm -hmm. um, it can be enticing to want to say, yeah, I'll do that. Or it can feed the ego like, wow, they mm -hmm. want me full-time, whatever. How did you know the right answer to that option was no, and the right answer was to, to go full-time in your consulting? Uh, I think it goes back to the book that I know you've read as well, um, True North by Bill George. That's going back to your, your compass. What is your true north? And my true north said, you are allergic to being tied to a desk with a nine to five job. <laughs> um, you, you know, my attention span, my interests, my passions go beyond the confines of a building. So going, had I wanted to be in HR full time, I would have remained at the Senate. And I had to keep reminding myself why I left in order to keep moving forward with developing not just one business, but two. So it was really kind of doing a, a check up from the neck up, if you will, to see What's important? Why Why did I leave? And if I'm just going to go back into full-time positions, am I really making progress? Am I getting the growth out of this that I wanted? And the answer was a resounding no. So I said, thank you, but no, and and continued to offer consulting services, but did not want to go in back as a, as a full-time HR position. So I'm going to make it get a little deeper in that because it's easy in retrospect for us to think, to be able to say things like, well, I knew that it wasn't going to get me where I wanted to go. But I know there are folks who are saying, how do you even figure out that difference between where you are right now and where you want to be? Do you, are you the kind of person that does, here's the pros and cons list? What is your process, I guess, is what I'm asking you? Or is there a particular tool or thought process that would help folks? That's a really good question. Um, I don't necessarily follow some kind of model, but I do, I am a list person. I'm a crazy list person. 
you know, in the morning, at night, um, pros and cons, I live by lists. And I always try and think, what's the worst case scenario? For instance, leaving the Senate, what's the worst that could happen? Well, worst that can happen was my business didn't take off. And I, I come back in some role, either there or someplace else, uh, and, and make it work. And that's okay, but I won't know until I try. So it was having that courage. But I did the, the worst case scenario, best case scenario, everything in between, and just continually talked it out drew it out. What would it look like? What would it sound like? Um, but try the world. We ended up with 128 races that we partnered with worldwide. And initially I was knocking on doors to say, you know, this is the service we offer. Would you be interested? And this was before I left the Senate and race directors kind of hemmed in hot and thought, well, you know, it would be nice to not have to answer all these travel questions and just pawn them off, so to speak on you. And I thought, great. And then it evolved to where the race directors were contacting me and saying, will you partner with our event? So I started to see that change and that potential. And that's when I knew if I didn't push jump, it, somebody else would have run with it. And I would have lost that opportunity and been sitting at the Capitol, not a bad place to be, I have to say, but wondering what it should have, could have, what would have happened had I had the courage to do that. So I did think through a lot of, um, in all the change that I worked through, what's the absolute worst that could happen? And then What's the best that could happen if this comes to fruition? What would that look like? What would that feel like? Sound like? Um, what would that What would that experience be like? So you got concrete in your thinking. Yeah. Again, absolutely. You already mentioned one of the books that has been an anchor for you, and right. Right. I did appreciate the recommendation for that book because I'm a voracious um, book. I've become a voracious listener. I have two ears that are always open so I can listen and learn. And I've listened to that book a couple of times and there are some really powerful nuggets in it. So we'll put a note in the bottom of this um, so folks know how to get it. So Great. you started, like you talked about, you had your racing, which also mm -hmm. moved into coaching athletes. I'm going to ask you to take some of the, some of the lessons that you give folks who are trying to do something right. I think you're, it's very physical, the work you do. Folks may be, like, intimidated by it. What are some of the key things that you tell folks that you're working with to help them basically start? Well, I think having an idea of what, why they want to start. So let's say somebody is overweight. They've never done a race in their lives. Um, they'll be the first to tell you they don't have a quote-unquote runner's body, uh, but they want to do something. I'll help them identify what is that goal. Maybe it's a 5K that you walk or maybe you walk, run it, um, or is it a, a bike event? It's different for everybody what that goal looks like. But the first thing would be to, to help identify what that would be and then break it into the likely steps. And, I, and I'll ask them, what's the worst that can happen? You have to walk across the finish line. Big deal. You got off the couch when people are still sitting, you know, in their pajamas with their cup of joe and won't ever get us a catch to do something like you've just accomplished today. So get them to realize that a little bit is better than nothing. And you have to break it into bite-sized uh, attainable steps that don't seem so daunting. But when you put those steps together, it does get you to whatever that proverbial finish line is, whether it's leading the summit, whether it's crossing your first physical finish line, losing that first five pounds, whatever their goal might be, breaking it into obtainable steps. What's one of the most inspiring stories that you have from watching somebody do exactly that, like something they wanted to do and they just put one foot after, literally after the other? Right. 
Uh, wow, there are. So I'm trying to scroll through my mental Rolodex here. Um, I think one, uh, a physical, well, it's not just a physical transformation because it ends up being emotional and, um, and an internal transformation as well as the external. And it was somebody who wanted to lose weight. She was quite a bit overweight. I would say even if we looked at the BMI, and you don't like to put people in categories, but the BMI uh, body mass index would have clarified or classified her as, as obese. With courage, though, she wanted to make a difference in her life. And so she literally started one foot in front of the other. And we worked on a, a walk-run program. And it wasn't even a walk-run. It was like a walk-jog. So you would you know, walk for two minutes and then jog for 30 seconds and then walk again for two minutes. And, and then we, we would change up those intervals. And to see this person go through the physical transformation that ended up being an emotional, emotional transformation as well. And you just see the courage, the, the confidence blossom and see it spill into the person's little pools of the rest of her life was fascinating. It was just magical. Uh, it was a much, as much a gift to me as it was to her. And then she did a half marathon and we just, the, the courage and strength was just a beautiful thing to be able to witness and to be a very small part of. And in most cases, or in many cases, do folks who come to you have a support system around them, or do they have to create that? Because oftentimes it's hard when you're trying to make a change, and people Mm -hmm. see you in particular roles, and frankly, they're kind of comfortable with you in those roles. Right. And then, especially when you go with the physical part of it, people will try and talk others out of it, in my experience, because, oh, you don't want to do that. That's kind of, you know, running is bad for your knees, and... You know, what about our, our Sunday brunches? What, you're going to be out running and we're going to be, who, who am I going to have brunch with and that kind of thing? People will try and talk others out of it. And some people won't even tell others about their goals because of the fear that they'll be talked out of it or say, oh, you don't have a runner's body. What are you, what are you thinking? You know, you're going to end up injured. Find another hobby. Uh, but it's, it's intentionally finding that support system. I think that's important. And listening to the people who doubt you because that, that's a really good way to kind of challenge your own drive. Why am I doing this? You know, when people said you're crazy for leaving the Senate, why, well, why am I leaving? And it, it constantly, it was like a constant feedback loop for myself to say, this is why I'm doing it. And I had to practice saying that because I was asked so many times. And it's the same with the physical transformations. Why would you want to do a marathon? You know, and to some people that seems just completely outlandish. And for others, like, are you kidding? Why wouldn't I want to? Uh, and as you know, Sarah, for me, that's, it's a way to, um, to basically, in a quote-unquote safe way, be able to practice facing adversity. Because we face adversity in every corner and niche of our lives. So finding something that challenges you, that gets you out of your comfort zone, to me is, is a gift to yourself uh, that you can draw from as you face other challenges in life or personally, professionally, or otherwise. So those could be things, those could be physical challenges, or in workplace, it may be a stepping up in a different way. What are some of the ways you've seen people kind of put themselves out a little bit? Uh, obviously, the physical part speaks for itself, you know, whether they up their, their race distance or, or even do like a charity event or something like that. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, in the workplace, going to to put themselves out to meeting with their supervisor to say, hey, you know, I've been reading up on this or I've been noticing that our 
department is getting more involved in X, Y, and Z, just to let you know, I would be very interested in being a part of that. Or looking for, for a transfer to get a promotional position or applying for another position, that takes courage. We get so comforted and so lackadaisical being on cruise control and we think, you know, this is a comfortable place to be. Why, why change any of this? Why mix it up? And my advice would be mix it up because the reward is outstanding. And it's not just a position. It's not just a paycheck. It's an internal change. It's an internal fire um, that is altered with each of these decisions and, and courageous changes. Even attempts, it doesn't have to come to fruition because you learn something along that, that same journey, whether it turns out positively or not. Had tried the world fallen flat on its face. I would have still learned something. And I joke at home about that same mindset when it comes to home improvement projects. It's like, what's the worst that could happen? Well, <laughs> you know, as I'm cutting a hole through the ceiling to put in a, <laughs> a whole house fan. What's the worst that could happen? I have to call somebody for help, but I will have learned something in the meantime. One thing I want to do is we're wrapping. I'm going to ask you to um, think back to yourself as a little kid. And I've heard some stories of you as a little kid, but if you were to give yourself young Michelle advice for like all the changes that come ahead in your life, what would you tell her that you know now that you didn't know then? Well, as you know, both of my parents are immigrants to this country. And I don't know, there's something about the immigrant spirit that I've been intimately um, aware and, and surrounded by that has this work ethic that is just like no other. I mean, it's, it's almost like they come here with a, an extra dosage of determination and survivorship, if, if, if you will. So I already grew up with that part of it. Like, you know, you can do anything that you set out to do. Ironic, but Iron Man, big I am, a lot of their marketing says impossible, and then the I am they use as I am possible. Oh, nice. Uh, so, yeah, so, so I've used that, and I grew up with that kind of mentality. One thing I think that was a bit different was that you don't have to be confined, and this would, this would be something different, I think, from looking back with what I grew up with, but you don't have to be defined in one category. You can... You can do something as outlandish as try the world versus trifecta consulting. The two have nothing to do with each other, seemingly. But as you get deeper and deeper, you realize that there is some over, overlap there. Um, but don't don't just be um, pigeonholed. Don't look in just with narrow vision. Take those blinders off and allow yourself to see the entire landscape because there's so much you can do when you do that. You'll you see things differently. You experience life differently. And, and it incorporates in different parts of your life that you initially don't think it will have anything to do with a profession or a hobby. And then you, a couple of years later, you look back and you think, wow, everything fell into place. Whether it was the silly, <laughs> you might recall this, uh, working with a school district at night, karaoke had just come out. God awful thing, right? <laughs> And I found myself uh, emceeing a karaoke deal in at night. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. Why am I doing this? Well, I got to tell you, getting up and being able to sing in front of people and getting other people comfortable enough to do the same found it, its place in my life in a crazy 
way. And that was standing up in front of groups and shortly thereafter having to find myself addressing whether it's a group of senators or um, a large group in a women's conference on behalf of one of the senators that I was invited to speak at. And instead of thinking, how can I do that? It was, oh, you've done this, but in a much more ridiculous fashion. So if you could do that, certainly you can do this. Right. So I think it's taking the blinders off and looking at the full landscape. And even if something seems superfluous, try it. Try it. Add that tool to your toolbox because you never know when you're going to need it. Will you talk to people about humankind be both and the inspiration for that? And Sure. Uh, thankfully, and I should knock on wood, the businesses are doing well, but I wanted to find a way to give back on a bigger scale. And I had blown my knee out um, skiing, which really put a literal hitch in my get along. And I'm not used to sitting still, as you know. So that was stifling for me. But what it did is it gave me more time to think through things. And one of those things was the state that we were entering into. And it was during the debates. And I just saw a new low. I saw us um, egging each other on and getting so far on the I'm right, so you must be wrong. And there was no compassion, no um, – the bar, I think, was getting lower and lower. And I was just appalled by it. In the meantime, I had been traveling to and from Africa quite a bit, and I saw how people with nothing were so joyful. I went to a village, and it was amazing. No electricity, no running water, no internet, iPhone, blueberry, blackberry, crackberry, any of that. And they were so happy. They would give me literally the shirt off their backs, and I was here to bring them school supplies and things. In one of the villages, you know, they, they have goats, and they use the milk. They wanted to sacrifice the goat in, in gratitude. I'm like, are you kidding? She said, no, 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 I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> but, but it made me realize these people are so joyful and so giving. And I just left a very first world country where we're at each other's throats and we're throwing verbal stones as well as literal stones. And it was heartbreaking. And I realized at the end of the day, we all do the same. So humankind be both was kind of a reminder for myself as well as for others that I wanted to get out there. It's kind of a, a tap on your consciousness, if you will, about before you cut that person off or before you pull into that parking space because you have to have that one that's closer to the door. Realize that one little act of kindness could mean a lot more to the person that's receiving that, and it costs nothing. So I started a, um, a program called Humankind Do Both, and what we do is raise money uh, to give back to groups that walk that talk. And it could be domestic violence um, providers, it could be uh, service providers, or it could be for children's issues, it could be for the elderly, and we rotate the funds, whoever is walking that, and we get nominations from people who are our customers, basically, um, like you, saying, you know, you got the baseball hat and you got the sticky notes and things, which I love, by the way, that you're using those and getting the word out. But I want to create some type of contagiousness with this. Um, so we've got bumper stickers and things. Funny story um, about that is a, a golf shirt. I think I shared this example with you. Um, person's going out to play golf and has the Humankind Depot's logo on it and gets paired with a person who she least likes to play with. So, of course, she's kicking a can thinking, oh, this is going to be you know, a horrible day on the course. 
and looks down and you know takes off her windbreaker and looks down and sees the logo. Well, you can't very well not be kind when you're wearing human kindly bows, or at least I'd like to think it. So I get a call at the end of the day, and it's you and your darn shirt. I'm like, excuse me? Do you know that I got paired with this person? And I was very frustrated, and it was going to ruin my golf game. And instead, I found myself focusing more on her. She was an elderly woman. Um, she was very slow, which was part of my problem with playing with her to begin with. And, and she went on to explain how she intentionally had to focus more on her. And at the end of the round, the woman came to her and said, give her a hug. And said, thank you so much. That was the, the best time I've had with this league. And thank you for making that happen. So giving up a little bit of our me, me, me focus and putting that towards somebody else. I don't care if you're wearing it on your hat, your the back bumper or the, the pocket of your shirt. Um, I just think it's a really important message. And if we could walk that talk, we would be in a much better place uh, locally, nationally and internationally. Michelle, I'm going to end our um, conversation on that because I don't think you can top it. And I think people listening to this can feel that as well. So from the bottom of my heart, you know I love you immensely. Thanks so much. And I look forward to sharing you with the podcast world of No Labels. So that's it for this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.